If you would go ahead and be seated, ushers, if you will, come and receive the tithes and offerings and prayer requests of the people. As they're doing that, let me uh, remind you that we got a pretty big event coming up next week, Not So Silent Night. Be one week from tonight. We're anticipating several thousand people. We still need some volunteers, some membership, and be sure that you volunteer at least one hour. And uh, you can sign up for your hour at Next Connect right out in the uh, lobby. And uh, if you want, or you can go online, you can look in your bulletin. There's a place you can go on our website and you can sign up for your hour there. Also, while you're out in the lobby, notice all the cool places to take pictures. Be sure and do that with family and friends and then post those on social media. And invite friends to come and join you for worship during this season as we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ. We'll be inviting them tomorrow for next week, uh, next Sunday night, and then throughout the, the holiday season on Sunday mornings. But then also be mindful of what's coming up Christmas Eve. As you well know, we have our Christmas Eve services that are just beautiful and, and enriching and, and so, so uh, just beautiful, powerful uh, ways for us to celebrate. So check out the times, all right? 2.30, 3.30, and 4.30. So we're gonna have three services. By the way, the, this is three weeks and three days from right now. Does that make anybody feel a little panicky, anxious? Don't worry about it, see? It's gonna be all right. It's gonna work out. So we're starting today a new, a new series. It really coincides with this season. We're talking about divine intervention. We're talking about the way that God has chosen to enter into our world, to redeem and rescue us for His glory, for His purpose, for our good. And that's what we're going to focus on this entire season. That's what Christmas is all about. And I hope that this uh, in, it really inspires us and, and encourages us to, to really focus in on why it is we are giving this much time and intention in our culture uh, for, for this season. It's not about the changing of time. It's not about a season of life. It's about the light of the world coming to redeem us and to rescue us for his glory. He's come to give us a new sense of self. Jesus Christ came to give us a new life so that we would be defined by his life, by him. Now, every one of us in this room is a creature. We've all been made. And as creatures, we've been made to look outside of ourselves for a definition. We're constantly looking at other people to tell us who we are, to tell us uh, what we should think of ourselves. We're constantly looking at things to be associated with. That's why we wear the, the clothes with the tags and the logos and all this stuff is because we want to be identified with a specific thing or idea to define us. Jesus Christ has come to redefine us by his love, by his power, by his grace. Understand, everybody in this room is being defined by something outside of themselves. And whatever that is, it's determining, it's, it's determining your, your spiritual life, how it is you experience reality. It's determining your emotional life, how you feel about your reality. It's determining, uh, you know, the, the, your mental life, how it is you think about reality. It's determining everything about you, how you see it, how you experience it. What defines you? is very, very important. A week ago today, I was in another country preaching. And we were finishing up after three days of training. 10 days ago, the training was beginning. And we had had a great time. We were with, we, I call these guys the five guys. We fund through our tithes and offerings, uh, our 
ties in particular in our general fund, we fund five men who are from different nationalities who are taking the gospel into Western Europe amongst the refugees. And they're able to do this full time because, because we give. We, we're also able to then fund their needs and their ministries and go and partner with them through the gift for Christ. Our tithes and offerings and our gift for Christ are crucial to the expansion of the kingdom of God around the world. And I saw this firsthand. So here I was 10 days ago. We'd had a meal, we had laughed. We had some songs, some in English, some in the other languages. Uh, it was just a sense of joy. And I had my iPad in front of me and I had my page of notes of what I was about to teach. And I could barely speak. I was so choked up. And I could barely see my notes for the tears that were in my eyes. Because I was thinking to myself, this is crazy. See, it wasn't just those five guys. It was also what they call their Timothys, the leaders that they're raising up that are going to go and plant churches throughout uh, Europe and, and back actually in the Middle East and beyond. And <laughs> I couldn't believe what I was looking at. I was looking at men and women who were from Iran and Iraq and Afghanistan and Congo and Pakistan and different parts of the U.S. We had Midwest, we had West Coast. We even let East Coast people come. I mean, we were gracious. It, it was just beautiful. And, and I told them, I said, only God could make this happen. Because sitting next to, next to one another were the Iranians and the Iraqis. I said, y'all are supposed to hate each other, you know. What are you doing praying for each other and loving each other, weirdos? You know, we're all just laughing. Friends, what defined us and what made that possible was not that we were all the same color or that we shared the same language or the same nationality. You know what made that so powerful, made that happen? Is that every person in that room was defined by Jesus Christ. Everyone in that room knew him as Savior and Lord, had been filled with the Spirit of God and were living to the glory of God. Now here I stand before you in Bowling Green, Kentucky, preaching God's word. Meanwhile, there are two men who were in that group who have now left for Western Europe. Their target, thousands of areas in Western Europe where Muslims have gathered in different countries and are now beginning to carve out a new life there. They are going to share the gospel, to baptize them and to form churches. This morning, uh, well, actually it's afternoon there. Many of them have already gathered with their churches and they're, they're already going and they're preparing to be sent. There was a couple, there is a couple. I met them last week. I probably won't see them again until heaven. They're on an island. It's one of the first islands that refugees will, will, will uh, come to. There's a UN camp there. It's built to house 3,000 people. They're living in a tent outside of that refugee camp, refugee center, because there are 20,000 people there. The smell is horrific. The conditions are bad. And yet there is this young couple from Afghanistan and they're sharing the gospel every day. They're baptizing new believers and they're teaching them to observe all things that God has commanded and teaching them how to be church. And now those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ are gonna go into your, or go back to their homeland and they are going to be transformed 
beings by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their identity is now Jesus. What defines you? What what makes you who you are? It's something outside of you. You know, one of the joys for us here at Living Hope is that we get to be a part of a family, of a kingdom of God and funding and, and praying for and going and serving alongside people all over the world. And we get to do it here. Friends, can I tell you that, that whatever we're living for, whatever it is we're seeking, whatever we think is gonna satisfy us, if it's not Jesus Christ, I promise you a hundred years from now, we're gonna be, we're gonna be so lost and so empty. If you're here today and your life is not defined by Jesus Christ, you're in trouble. See, there are even some here who are Christians. You claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. But if you're honest, if you're honest, you're not really defined by him. He's not first in your life. He's not what you talk about. He's he's not what, what what you're sharing and showing. There are a lot of Christians that are like this guy who was a great ball player in high school. And he had this letterman jacket that showed all the things that he had done that were so great in high school. And he, and he wore it in college and his friends made fun of him and said, dude, that's so over. What are you doing? Why are you wearing that? You, you need to move on, bro. And then his, his first day of work, he's got a suit on with the letterman jacket. And his boss went to him and he said, man, I just got to tell you, Stop. You're embarrassing yourself. You're talking about all these things that you did. They don't matter anymore. We're in the business of making money. We're not here to talk about how cool you were in high school. As a matter of fact, it doesn't matter anymore. Can I tell you, there are some who claim Christ who are living for things they cannot keep. And and there are some in Christ who are going to show up in heaven one day with their earthly letterman jacket. Of all the things that they did were so important in the world that doesn't exist anymore, that's been burned by fire and doesn't have any more to offer. Friends, don't be the Christian in heaven with the earthly letterman jacket on. Here's what I can assure you. Anything that we do that is for the glory of God is what we're gonna wanna talk about in heaven. Anything that we did not do will probably be a source of great embarrassment. Every dollar that we give for the glory of the kingdom of God, we will wanna talk about in heaven one day. Every hour of service, every gospel witness, every prayer for God's movement in the world That's what we're going to talk about. Every challenge, every trial that we face, that's what we're going to talk about. You know what we're not going to talk about? What kind of car we drove, what kind of clothes we wore, what our address was and what everybody on the planet thought about us. All of those things are going to pass away. And if your identity is based on those things, you're living with a dying hope. And one day you're going to be very embarrassed. Friends, God calls us to be defined by Jesus Christ. Jesus, God in the flesh, empowered by his Holy Spirit to live for and be renewed by what is real and what matters forever, 
the love of God in Christ Jesus. In our text today, we see what God has done. God promised that he was going to provide this, this glorious rescue that would give us new life. Let's, let's take our Bibles. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go now to Matthew chapter three, verse 11. Charlie's gonna read for us. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Charlie, you've done so well this morning. I think Charlie's gonna be the future pastor of Living Hope. I've said that since what? He was like two years old, didn't it? So I don't know. This isn't like, you're not interviewing, but this is sort of important, so. All right, Matthew three eleven. Read it, Charlie. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Good job, Charlie. I was testing him. If you would go ahead and be seated, I'm just kidding. I was reading on in verse 12. That's kind of scary. I'm glad we're not doing that part today. Good job, Charlie. You know, the thing, when I read that text, and then we're going to be in Matthew 3 today, so just kind of just stay there. We've got, we're going to take that verse by verse, uh, word by word here in just a moment. We're going to look at some other sections as well. Our God is a promise-keeping God. For the foundation of the world, he determined the story. When we talk about the story, what we're talking about is ultimate reality. Ultimate reality is explained in the Bible. The Bible is not a collection of stories or sayings. It is, is, it is a single story in how many parts? Can you tell me how many parts are, are, how many parts? Four. What are those parts? Say them out loud. I'm gonna tell y'all, y'all just embarrassed the 930 service. You just killed it. In the words of Alton Bailey, you just successed all over yourself. Good job. I'm just going to tell you, that was great. When you see people at the 930 service, judge them. No, I'm just kidding. Don't judge them. Just, don't, just, just remind them what the story is. That was excellent. That's the story. That's the Bible. Creation. God created all things in harmony. Fall. We sinned. That's why the world is in the condition it's in. Rescue. God in flesh coming to save. One day he will return and he will restore all things. When we think about this in terms of the three circles, and by the way, the story and the three circles are, are meant to work together. When we talk about God's design, we're talking about creation. When you talk about the fall, you're talking about sin and brokenness. When you talk about the rescue, you're talking about the gospel that we must repent and believe. And when you talk about restoring and pursuing and recovering God's design, you're talking about what God is doing in the world and the reality that one day he is going to restore all things. Is this, does this describe your existence? Have you come to that place where you recognize the, the brokenness that, that, that is caused by sin? Have you repented of your sin? Have you repented uh, of your self-confidence, uh, uh, of your self-dependence? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ? Does he define your life, his forgiveness and his love? Are you pursuing recovering God's design and the power of his Holy Spirit? This is the will of God. This is what God promised would happen. This is why he came. This is where his divine intervention, where, where it matters. Does it matter to you? If you look in our text, here's what we'll understand, that, that God promised through the prophets that the mighty one would come to purify and refine us with the Holy Spirit. 
Now let's take that step by step as we look at the text. Take note. God promised, first of all, through the prophets. John the Baptist was the last of the old prophets, the old covenant, Old Testament prophets. John said, if you will look with me in verse 11, beginning in chapter 3 of Matthew, I baptize you with water for repentance. Now, John was there doing a work that was preparing the world for Jesus. He was at the same time uh, preparing uh, the, the, the people to receive. It wasn't just that it was enough that, that they knew the facts. He was wanting their hearts to be ready. Now, John was a weird dude. There's no shake in that, all right? This guy was, was something to see. You probably smelled him before you saw him. You know what I'm saying? I love Jesus, the Jesus Storybook Bible. How many of you guys know the Jesus Storybook Bible? Show of hands. You need to know this, especially if you have children. And, and, and especially if you're not real, real confident in the use of Scripture, I still go back and read the Jesus Storybook Bible. As a matter of fact, when we were doing the story in preparation with the pastors, we were saying, oh yeah, you know, there's that great story in the Jesus Storybook Bible. I stole that picture. Here's what John looked like. He was, he was something. Uh, his description is in Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Imagine having this dude for Thanksgiving, right? Bringing out the, the <laughs> dressing and turkeys. Oh, I don't see the bugs. Where's the bugs? Bugs and honey, that's what I do. Where, where are they? This guy was, was kind of a weird dude. But what he represented was the prophets, and he was also Elijah. See, the, the Bible says that before the coming of the Messiah, that Elijah was come, would come, and that that would be the last of the prophets. Uh, it says in, in Matthew chapter 11, don't, don't turn them. Let me just read it. I was going to put it in my notes, but then I knew I would spend 30 minutes explaining it. This is Matthew chapter 11, verses 13 and 14. Listen to this. This is Jesus. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Okay, think about this. The law, Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, those first five, all the prophets until John, all of the Old Testament, until John, they prophesied and they told about the coming of this Messiah. And it says, and if, you will, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He is the one who would speak of the Messiah and his appearing. And so what, what John was doing there, he was personifying Elijah. He was representing the prophets of old. He was doing what Isaiah said would happen. He was preparing the way. He was preparing the people for the Messiah. They were believing. They were repenting. They were believing. They were, they were saying, I give up on me. I, I repent of my sin. I believe in the coming Christ for salvation. It's very important to understand what the prophets would do. The prophets, like John, would, would speak to the, the issues and the people and the needs of their day. And at the same time, they would, they would announce the gospel story. So you, you take, for instance, I've, I've been in my, in my time alone with God. I've been in, in, in Micah uh, this week. And so you see Micah condemning the, the, the people of God, saying to them, 
you're going to be exiled. I know you're wealthy now and you think you got it all under control. You're in trouble. But then you see in chapters four and five, the announcement of the coming of the Messiah. What you see in the prophets is a message to their day. At the same time, you see them presenting the whole of the Bible. Again, what you'll see is creation, fall, rescue, restoration in the message of the prophet, anticipating the coming of the Messiah. That's how we are to read our Bibles. We are to understand that there was an original message to the original readers. And that message is one that we can understand in principle. But there's an overarching message that ties all the scripture together and it is the story of God. Creation, fall, rescue, restoration. The centerpiece being the rescue, the hero, Jesus Christ, who, who was promised, who has come, and who is now coming again. We have to understand that, that these Old Testament prophets proclaim the same gospel that we hear today. Everyone who has ever been and ever will be saved, who will have admission into heaven, Saved the same way you and I are, by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. So if, if you could picture this being the cross. Before the cross, all the law and the prophets until John pronounced the gospel and everyone who was saved was looking forward to the cross. We who are now on the other side of the ministry of John, the life, death, resurrection, and coming of, the, of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit, how are we saved? We look back to the cross. Everyone who is saved is saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, who died on the cross and was raised on the third day. The old were looking forward to the coming. Now we on the other side look back to his coming. This is what the prophets proclaimed. This is the message. God promised through the prophets, now take note, that the mighty one would come. The mighty one. I love the, 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 the designation here we see from, from John. Look in, again, the middle part of verse 11. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. He is the mighty one. John had a great blessing in his life. He understood who he was and he understood who Jesus was. That may be the greatest blessing in all the earth. To know who we are in light of who he is. To understand that we are sinful creatures, but we are dearly loved. To understand that we deserve judgment, but we've been given grace. To understand that our life, apart from him, is empty and meaningful. But because of his good and, and, and his kindness and his love, we are redefined and made new. Do you know who God is? Do you know him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? The most important thing about any, any, any aspect of our being is what we think of God. See, John knew that he was mightier, mightier in holiness, that, that he was pure, that he lived a holy life. He knew that Jesus was mightier in love, that he left heaven to come and die for our sins to make us new, that, that he was mightier in power, that nothing could stop him, not even death, because death could not hold him. He knew that he was mightier. And John knew who he was. He says, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He knew he wasn't even worry, worthy to carry the sandals of this man who was God. What you and I think about when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Everyone thinks about God. Even the atheist 
has, to, has in their designation theist, non-theist, no theism. They have to acknowledge their existence on the basis of something they do not want to hold to, which is theism, God. What we think when we think about God is the most important thing about us. A.W. Tozier, you know it's going to be a good sermon when you're quoting A.W. Tozier. I, uh, I have a copy of his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, in my Jeep. I leave it there. If there's ever a late practice, if there's ever a down moment, I get it out of my lockbox and I read it. Listen to what A.W. Tozier says in this great book. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as a worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most pretentious fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that com composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. What you think about when you think about who God is, is the most important thing about you. Do you believe that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come to us? Do you understand the gravity of that? Are you in awe of the holiness and the power and the glory and the greatness of this God and that he would, he would, he would come to us and love us? See, the problem with humanity is not that we don't have enough self-esteem. It's that we don't have enough God-esteem. It's that we don't See and celebrate the greatness of God. The higher view you have of God, the higher view you come to have of self and others. Because you realize we've been made in the image of this great God. We have been loved by this great God. We have been defined by this great God. But if that God is not great, then you care little for yourself or for others. So what do you think of God? Do you think he's some old man fishing for a compliment? Do you think he's some bearded individual that if you're really good, he'll give you a good gift? Or do you have the view of Isaiah 6, that he is holy, holy, holy? Do you have the view of the Revelation 21 and 22? of this king from whom the, the river flows that feeds the fruit that is the peace of the nations who has the power to condemn and to give life to all who believe. What's your view? Whatever you believe will determine everything about who you are. The prophets, they, they promised that there would be this one, this mighty one who would come and he has. And while he was here, he spoke. He spoke of another that is to come. 
Remember, Jesus did not come to be a model of man. He did not come to be a martyr for the cause of poverty. He did not come to be a myth to, to, to made to inspire. He came to be God in the flesh, the Lamb of God, who would reveal a kingdom that has come and is coming that we can be a part of. And we're able to be a part of it through the power of the, of the cross and of the other, the other of the same kind that Jesus told about in John 14 through 16. What am I speaking of? Write it down. God promised through the prophets that the mighty one would come to purify and refine us with what? With the Holy Spirit. So John says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He will baptize you. He will identify you with the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? He gives us new life. Do yourself a favor and go and read John 3, 1 through 18 in that conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus and ask yourself a very simple question. Have I been born again? Have I entered into new life or am I still condemned? He has come for us to be identified with the Holy Spirit who gives us new life and fire. What does fire do? It purifies he has come that we can have new life and that our life be made pure by the blood of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. Does that define you? Something defines you. Is it your accomplishments? Is it your relationships, your family, your marriage? Is it your property? Is it your experiences? All of these will pass away. Friends, let me promise you this. You don't want to be that guy or girl that shows up into heaven with your earthly letterman's jacket. You don't be the, want to be the one that talks about the job you had and, and the people that knew you and the, in your address and the car you drove and the clothes you wore. You're not going to want to talk about those things. As a matter of fact, those are going to be the things you don't want to talk about because the only things that are going to matter are what we did for the kingdom of God. Where we spent our money and our time and our energy. Friends, please hear me. A hundred years from now, the thing that's gonna matter to you most is what you did for the kingdom of God. Is there anything gonna be worth talking about in heaven because of you? Go look at your checkbook. Go look at your prayer list if you have one. Go look at the people you are crying over who need to be saved, if indeed you are. Friends, we have been called to a way of life that is in Christ. It is whole, it gives meaning. You must trust in him. You must be defined by him, you must pursue him. One of the men we support there in Southern Europe is from Iran. And I've known him for years, but I haven't heard his story. So we, when we were driving back, uh, we were coming down these massive mountains and I got so carsick because when he talks, he talks so quiet, he whispers, pasta, pasta, that's what he calls him, pasta. And then he whispers and he tells us like, so I'm having to read his lips and look at it. And when you're weaving, that is not good. And I was so glad that the Pakistanis in the other van threw up. One, that it was them and not me. Two, that they were in another vehicle. And three, I got to get out and breathe some fresh air for a minute. This brother, this brother years ago met his family in a safe country 
and shared the gospel. And his dad and his siblings believed. And he baptized them. And he taught them to observe all the things that Jesus had commanded. And they went back to their neighborhood in Iran. And they shared Jesus. And they baptized them. And they taught them to observe all things. They now have a church. They now have a church. They worship this morning in Iran. And you know what's happening in Iran? A movement of God. And you and I get to be a part of it because we get to support it. We are supporting it with our tithes and offerings. I told you a few weeks ago that I read an article, and I think it was in Christianity Today, that they said that the church was growing fastest in Iran. Remember I told you guys that? While we were where we were, there were some folks from another company that have personnel in Iran. And they said, we have factual data that shows that last year, over one million Iranians were saved and baptized and are now part of a local congregation. God is at work. And you know what we get to do? We get to join him. You know what it takes? Everything. Everything. One of the nights in the conclusion, we began to sing a song that I knew very well. And they all knew it and they sang it really loud in all their languages. I have decided to follow Jesus. I thought that was an American song. It's not. They corrected me real quick to let me know that that song was written by some Indian brothers who had left their town for work and gone into a large city and had met Jesus Christ. And they went back to their village and the people there said, we will not accept this message. If you hold to this message, we reject you. We will not go with you on this journey. You must go. And so they wrote, though none go with me, still I will follow. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ means to be light. It means to stand up and stand out. It means to put away the childish things of this world and to live for what lasts forever. Some of you are not Christians in this room. The smartest thing you could do right now is come and get on your knees right here in the front and ask Jesus to forgive you and for him to fill you and give you new life. Some of you are Christians, but you're off track. You need to come and repent and get back on track in the right trajectory in a life that celebrates your identity in Jesus. This week, if you look quickly, look quickly in your bulletin. We're praying that we will have a view of God and his holiness, that we will see God as he is, that we will be in awe of the holiness of God. Without that, there is no revival. So as we're praying for revival, come and pray today that we would have such a high view of God. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for the, the law and the prophets that point to you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that we can have a new life, that we can be defined by you, that all that we live for, all that we hope in would last forever because it's for you, it's found in you. Lord, I know that we get distracted by many earthly things and we think we can't give and we think we can't serve and the fact of the matter is we just don't want to. Would you, God, please change our hearts and revive us and make us people who live by faith, 
Choose to share, choose to give, choose to love. And would you revive us, Lord, with a view of you, a true view of your holiness. Hear us now as we come and pray. Some to be saved, some to be renewed. Come and pray, friends.